Now, we find that the Jewish people have been taken captive. God had miraculously released them. They're back rejoicing, saying, pinch me, I feel like I'm dreaming. The heathen are hearing it, and they're going, wow, God's done great things for them. But they're not done asking God for favors. If you've helped us before, help us again. Turn again. God's willing to do that. You know, you'll never have a point in the Christian life where you no longer need God. Your soul might get as dry sometimes as the desert in the summer, and and you'll need to ask again and again. That's been the story of Fargo Baptist Church. You'll need to ask God again and again. You say, but pastor, that that was back in Bible times. That doesn't work today. Well, I have news for you. Malachi 3.6 says, For I am the Lord, I change not. And we find over in the New Testament, Hebrews 13.8 speaks of Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. Folks, the centuries have not worn down God's power. There's not a leakage in His battery, okay? He's as powerful today as He was then. And for the, the past 30 years, God has blessed and helped and come to our rescue over and over and over again. And again, in verse 4, they say, Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. We can talk about past blessings, but what about the next 30 years? Should Christ tarry? We ought to thank God for what He's done, but we need a devout benediction. God, do it again. Do it again. He never gets sick of hearing it. He never gets tired of us or our antics, and, and He loves His children too much to turn His back on us. He's there to help us as individuals and, and as a church. So as, as we look back and, and, and as we look forward to the future, may we say with all of our hearts, the Lord's done great things for us. Truly He has. Thank God for it. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles, please, and turn back to the Psalms, if you would. Psalm 126. Well, 30 years ago this week, we had our very, very first church service, and had a few people from the area here and took up a whopping $12 offering, and those weren't the good old days, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but over the past three decades, we've seen God do some amazing things, and it's been quite a journey, incredible. And as I thought of it, I thought of this text. This is priceless. Here in Psalm 126, we begin in verse number 1. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion... We were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. I direct your attention to verse 3. The Lord hath done great things for us. That's what we're going to be talking about today. The Lord's done great things for us. Let's pray before we begin. Father, we come before Thee at this time as we have for over 1,500 Sundays now. We ask You to bless this time. Bless Thy Word as it's opened. And Father, we just pray that You'd please speak to hearts and accomplish Your perfect will and all that's said and done. 
We pray now and ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, Psalm 126 is called a a psalm of ascent. You might notice at the beginning under the chapter heading there, it's called a song of degrees. And the reason for that, it was sung as they were ascending up to Jerusalem. The Jewish people would go to the the, the chief city of their their, uh, nation there, and they would sing this, because you always go up to Jerusalem, they're ascending up to Jerusalem, singing this song of degrees. Now, what's it about? Well, it's commemorating this great reversal that God had brought about in the lives of God's people and the, the nation of Israel. And their hearts were rejoicing, their, their eyes were dried, their mouth was full of praise because God had reversed a real bad situation. And then in verse number 4, they say, Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. What they're talking about here is their backs were to the wall, God had gotten them out of it, and now they're saying, Do it again. And they're making this description here. It's a vivid picture in verse 4. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Now, that area of the south of Israel there was was desert. There was miles and miles of it. It was the Negev Desert. And it was arid. It it was parched. It was uh, a place where there was wilderness. And and it really ran into the, the, the Sinai wilderness. It's where Moses and the children of Israel had come through. And they said, this is a disgusting place here, and it really was. Back in 1986, I got to drive a a bus, and I was over in the uh, Holy Land through this area. In the summer there, there's no rains. It's very arid. There's no grass. It's dry as a bone. But in the winter, when the rains would come, they would fill these little creeks. They called them wadis. And there would be streams, literally, in the desert. That's why I say it's a vivid picture here. We find it's a picture of God, our backs were to the walls before, but you've brought us through this, like streams in the desert. And then they say, do it again. We want you to do it again. Let those blessings flow again. And then in verse 3, our text says, the Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. That's it, folks. That's what we're talking about today. As we take a look at it, we see four things in this passage here. First of all, we find the desperate battles, the desperate battles. Many years ago, there was a missionary to the Picton Islands down on the southern tip of South America. His name was Alan Gardner. He died at my age, actually, in 1851. He died of starvation and disease, but he kept this real, this real good diary, this journal of, of what it was like there on that Picton Island as he was starving to death, literally. And the very last excerpt from his diary says this. He said, I am overwhelmed by the greatness of God and also the goodness of God. I am overwhelmed by the goodness of God. Now, what inspired Psalm 126 here? In verse 1, it says, When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. What's he talking about here? Well, a little difference on opinion of what it's talking about, but most commentators believe it really goes back to 606 B.C. The Jews were getting kind of spunky, and so Nebuchadnezzar went down there, and he basically put them in their place, and he took a lot of the inhabitants back to Babylon, including Daniel and and, uh, Abednego and and Shadrach and Meshach, and, and there they were for the next 20 years, and the Jews were supposed to mind their P's and Q's, but they didn't. 
And so finally about 586, 587 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar says that's enough. He goes down. He totally destroys the city, destroys the temple, just slaughters the people, takes more of them captive. And for 70 years, they're held captive back up there in Babylon until finally the Babylonians are conquered by the Medo-Persians. And we find this new king by the name of Cyrus, and he lets the Jews go back. And that's what the book of Nehemiah is all about in the Old Testament. That's what the book of Ezra is all about. And many think that it was Ezra who actually wrote this psalm, Psalm 126, of how the, the Lord had turned again their captivity, how he had restored them, how he'd forgiven them. And so it's a, a song of degrees and, and rejoicing. Now, this turned again the captivity. Notice that in verse 1. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion. Now, we don't use that language when we're talking about a reversal today, but that's Bible language. In fact, we find in the book of Job, after Job had suffered for dozens of chapters, God reverses things. And the Bible says in Job 42.10, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Notice, he reversed that problem, Job. It was more than a problem. This this titanic kind of a disaster that Job was going through. And, And he turned the captivity of Job, the Bible says. And so, what the Jews are doing here in Psalm 126 is they're rejoicing in that. For this, this reversal, it's, it's gratitude in spite of the past hurt they'd gone through. There's a song, and I think it's in our songbook. Many of you know it, Oh Love That Will Not Let Me Go. It was written by George Matheson. After he learned he was going blind, after he learned that his fiancée was dumping him because he was going blind, Oh Love That Will Not Let Me Go. A gratitude in spite of hurt. Many of you have heard the name Horatio Spafford. He was a prominent uh, attorney in the greater Chicagoland back in, in the 1800s. And in 1873, he sent his wife and four daughters on a trip over the Atlantic to Europe. And on the way over there, they, they ran into a, an English steamer and they sunk immediately. The four girls perished in the chilly waters of the Atlantic. The mother hung to a, a piece of wreckage and, and was rescued. News came back stateside of what had happened. Spafford was wondering, what happened to my family? When she got over to the English side, she, she uh, radioed back or, or wired back, arrived alone. Just those two words, arrived alone. Of course, he was frantic, and so he, uh, he set sail across the Atlantic himself and was going to meet back up with his wife, and, and he asked the captain of the ship, when we're to the place where my daughters perish, could you let me know? And it was the middle of the night one night when, when Spafford received a knock on his cabin door and the captain said, we're there. And he went up on the, the deck there and looked out at the moon and the stars and, and thought of the watery grave that uh, had his daughters now occupied. And he went back down to his cabin and he wrote the words of that famous song. We still sing it to this day. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. How is that possible? That's what we call gratitude in the midst of hurt. Gratitude in the midst of hurt. We're reminded of how that's possible in Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 11, which says, Praise the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his mercy endureth forever. The Lord is good, no matter what, his mercy endureth forever. If you ask the average person, what do you think God is like? They'd say, well, he's love, he's just, he's, he's truth, and, and he's holy. 
But not too many people would say God is good. They, they just don't think of that. But there are 13 direct declarations in the Scriptures of that very thing, including this one. God is good. And He reminds us over and over and over again. Over the, the past 30 years, we've had some desperate battles at Fargo Baptist Church. Obviously, he, the devil doesn't like what we're doing. And as you, you build people and you build buildings and you build budgets, the devil fights. We call that the, the desperate battle. The Jews knew, some, knew somewhat of that here. And we, we, we start out this glorious psalm with that, the desperate battles. But secondly, we see the divine backing. In verse 2, after they had had their captivity turned, they said, Then was our mouth filled with laughter, and our tongue was singing. Then, said they among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. Notice, the Lord hath done great things for them. There's that divine backing. Back in the 1500s, there was a man over in Europe, in uh, Germany no less, by the name of John Brenz. And he invoked not only the wrath of the Church of Rome, but the, the wrath of Charles V, the King of Spain. He sent his troops, actually his cavalry, there to, uh, to arrest John Brenz. And John Brenz knew that they were coming. He went into his house, he, he prayed, and, and he begged God for wisdom. What should I do? And, and that still small voice said in so many words, go to the upper city, take a loaf of bread with you, a flask of water, and look for an open door. So he did. And he's in the upper city. He sees one open door. He goes into the place. It's totally empty. He goes upstairs. He hides underneath the roof. And he sits there with his water and bread. All of a sudden, you can hear the noise outside. And the troops have arrived. They're tearing the city apart. And they're looking. And for the next 14 days, they tear that city apart trying to find him. He's up there eating his loaf of bread. It wouldn't have been enough to sustain him, though. But every day, a hen walked into that attic and without cackling, laid an egg and left. He ate the raw egg. Finally, it was day 15, and he could hear voices outside saying, oh, God, they're gone. Thank God they're gone. And he came out. We call that deliverance. We call that divine backing. You've got to love that. The Lord hath done great things for us. Is God good to you? I hope you realize that he is. Back in Exodus... We have Moses and God just starting to get acquainted. And, and Moses is getting to know God a little bit. And he wants to know more about God. And in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 18, he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he, God said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. I'm going to show you my goodness. Now, most of mankind does not understand God. They don't understand His goodness. They know He's omnipresent and He's everywhere and He's all-powerful. He's omnipotent. He's, he's omniscient. He knows everything. He's sovereign. They know all these things about Him, but they don't comprehend His goodness. The very air we're breathing right now, the very food we'll eat today, the, the water you drink, the things that give you health and sustain you, that all comes from God. You say, well, what has God done for me? I hear that. What has God done for you? You know, the average person in their lifetime will consume 250 cows. It's a lot of beef. 250 cows. 310 pigs. The old expression, you eat like a pig. 310 pigs in your lifetime. 225 lambs. 2,400 chickens. This is hard to believe. Eat more chicken, right? 26 acres of grain. That's what we'll consume in our lifetime 
and 50 acres of fruits and vegetables. What has God done for us? Really? We owe our very existence to about six inches of topsoil, folks. God help us not to forget that. We read this over in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17. It says, Be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. That sleep last night, that sunrise this morning, we are surrounded by these blessings from God. The Bible says in James 1.17 that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. We have a good God, and every good gift comes down from Him. You know, a, a Jewish family back in Bible times, they knew this stuff. Little kids by the age of five were reciting things like this and, 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 and praising God for His goodness, and they understood that. And whole families would get together and, 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 and talk about it. In fact, that very Ezra I mentioned a moment ago, in Ezra 3 and verse 11, it says, In his day they sang together by chorus in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord because he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. We're normally grateful if the cupboards are full, if the gas tank's full, if there's money in the bank account, if the kids are healthy, if the job's going wonderful, and everything's wonderful. We say, ain't God good? Well, God's good even if the, the cupboards are empty and the kids are sick and rebellious and the job's going lousy and, and everything else. God is good all the time, all the time. In Psalm 100, verse 5, it says, For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endureth to all generations. Our society has it, trumped up the goodness of man and downplayed the goodness of God. This humanistic society in which we live in, they put God on trial. Well, if God is good, why'd that happen? Why'd that happen? If God is good. You know, they, they have it all backwards. I read over in Jonah where Jonah wanted the Ninevites slaughtered. It was God who said, huh, no, no. They've repented and a lot of kids there and we're not going to do that. So who's good and who's not good? How good is God? Well, let me ask you this. Would you give your only son to suffer and bleed and die as a, as a payment for the folly of mankind? That'd be a hard thing to do. God is good to everyone. Regardless of whether we, we deserve it or not, God is good. We read this over in Matthew 5.45, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. God is good to everybody, deserve it or not. I hope we're grateful. We see this desperate battle. We see this divine backing. Thirdly, let's talk about this delightful blessing. This delightful blessing. Back in verse 1 again, it says, When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Really? Pinch me. We were like them that dream. Wow, did, did this really happen? I used to sit back in Bible college in 1983, 84, and, and uh, just wonder what God was going to do with me. And, and honestly, if, if, if I would have known at that time what God was going to do here in Fargo, I, I would have said, just pinch me. I, I mean, praise God. Now, we, I hope we realize that that God's goodness includes both good and what we call bad. You know, we say, well, God's good if good things happen. No, God's good if bad things even happen because God is sovereign. And God says over in, in, in Matthew 16, the, the Lord said, I will build my church, right? And then in Ephesians 5, the Bible tells us he loved the church and he gave himself for it. 
And then in 1 Corinthians 12, it tells us, He sets every member in the body as it hath pleased Him. And back in Ephesians 4, it says, For the completing or the maturing or the perfecting of the saints, so that He can grow us up to serve Him. So He brings all this stuff to pass for our good and His glory. God help us not to forget that. I want to praise him today. The Jews went down to near annihilation. I mean, in Babylonian captivity, anyone would have thought, that's it. But they occupy the land again. And they occupy the land yet to this day. That's God. We find in the beginning of verse 2, they say, then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. We ought to have that temperament, that countenance. Has God done something good for you? And have you told others about it? They did. Notice the last part of verse 2. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. The Jews told others, and now the unsaved are going, Wow, God's really done something for them. You know, back in, in Mark chapter 5, we find this, this uh, demon-possessed guy in the region of Gadara. He's the demoniac of Gadara. He, he ran around naked. He, he was uh, roughing up people who came through. He was breaking chains. I, I call him a rude, nude dude in a crude mood. And he was all of that. But Christ shows up, and he heals him. And guess what? The guy wants to come back on the ship with Christ. Let me go with you. We read this in Mark five nineteen. Howbeit Jesus suffered him, or allowed him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee. And he did. And no doubt he led people in that region of Gadara to Christ. How about us? Do we talk about God's goodness? I mean, the heathen back in Psalm 126, they got word. They said, wow, the Lord hath done great things for them. Notice again in verse number 1. It says, when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dreamed. God turned the captivity of those Jews. God turned the captivity of the demoniac. He was never the same. Has, has God turned your captivity? You say, well, I'm not a demoniac. No, but there's a captivity before salvation. Jesus Christ talked about it in John chapter 8 and verse 34. He said, verily I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Get the picture there? Whoever is in bondage to sin is the servant of sin. We read over in 2 Peter 2.19, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought into bondage. There are a lot of people, and they look at the life of a Christian, they think, oh, that's bondage. Reading your Bible, praying, going to church, telling people about the Lord, really? You guys are in bondage. No, no, bondage is, is the tobacco and, and the uh, alcohol and the drugs and the pornography and the vice and everything else they're in bondage to. And that's what Peter's talking about here. While they promise them liberty, oh, this is the life you ought to have, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, the same is he brought into bondage. And there's a lot of sin that has, has men and women, boys and girls, in bondage bondage. That's the whole purpose of Christ coming to this earth, to die for the, for the sins of mankind. You know, we have a society that, that kind of has swept sin under the carpet. But the Bible says in Galatians 3 that the law, Ten Commandments, is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And how is that? 
The law shows us how sinful we are. The law says, thou shalt have no other gods before him. And how many of us can say, well, I've never put anything ahead of God, a job or money or, or a house or a car or a relationship. No, we've all had those small g gods, haven't we? It goes on, it talks about creating this God of our own imagination. Boy, we're good at that. Well, to me, God's a good God who wouldn't send anyone to hell, and pretty much everyone's going to heaven. To me, this is what God's like. We've invented our own God. He's not the God of the Bible. He's the mush God. He's the God of our mind. And we violated the second commandment. It's the darling sin of humanity. Third one says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Have you ever done that? Taking God's name in vain. God goes on, he says, I will not hold him guiltless that taketh my name in vain. That's a sobering warning. Well, it goes on, talks about keeping his day holy. Can we say we've always done that? No, we've broken that fourth commandment. Honor thy father and thy mother. Have you always done that? Immediately, totally, with a good attitude. Well, you broke the fifth commandment. Jesus clarifies the sixth commandment when he says, Whosoever looketh upon the opposite sex to lust after them, he's committed adultery already in his heart. We might say, I've never committed adultery. Well, if you've done that, you have. He also clarifies that, that seventh commandment when he says, if, you, if you're angry with your neighbor, if you're bitter, if you're mad at somebody, it's murder of the heart. You've committed murder. The eighth commandment says, thou shalt not steal. Who can say they've never taken anything that didn't belong to them? Maybe even too long of a coffee break or too long of a lunch break and stolen the boss's time. The ninth commandment speaks of not bearing false witness. Plainly, not lying. Who can say they've never told a lie? Not me. And yet the Bible says all liars shall have their part in the lake that burneth with fire and brimstone. And then the tenth commandment speaks of not coveting. Who can say they've never wanted something they didn't have, something they didn't need, something belonged to somebody else. And so here we are, we've broken God's law horribly, and yet you've got people by the scores in this area and around the world trying to work their way to heaven. What a helpless cause. That's why Christ came to this earth and shed blood to die for us. That's why the, the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to him, to show us how much we need him. If you could work your way to heaven, why did he come to this earth and go through all that pain and suffering and blood and death? You have to be saved by placing your faith and your trust in him. When a person changes their mind about their sin, it's called repentance in the Bible, and puts all their faith in Christ and calls upon him and asks him to save them, they're born again, the Bible way as Jesus Christ talked about here. But before then, sinners are in the captivity of Satan. In 2 Timothy 2.26, however, it says that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. There's that captivity. But oh, when you get saved, you can relate to verse 1. It says, when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Jesus Christ, when he walked this earth, went into a synagogue in Nazareth. The ruins of the foundation are still there this day. He walked to the front, he grabbed the scroll, and he turned back to the scroll of Isaiah. And he read this, we read it in Luke 4.18. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives. There it is. And the recovering of the sight to the blind. There it is. When the Lord turned again the captivity, 
my captivity, your captivity, and you were saved, it's like, pinch me. I'll never forget the night I was born again, March 5th, 1981. I'll never forget going back to my little house at the lake there and just going, I'm really going to heaven? I'm really going to I can't believe it. I called somebody right away and told him. I talked to the journeyman I worked with the next whole day about wore out his ear until he finally told me to knock it off. But I was so happy. God had turned again my captivity. We call it the delightful blessing. Well, after the desperate battle, after the divine backing, after the delightful blessing, finally and quickly, we see a a devout benediction. Now, we find in our text here this talk of this captivity being reversed And then in verse 3, the psalmist saying, The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Back in World War II, there was a chaplain in the South Pacific. He was a captain, Captain Johnson. He relates the story of what happened to his, his squad. He went, he went with his bomb raid as a, as a chaplain, and they flew uh, several hundred miles, and they found their target and uh, accomplished their mission, and they turned around, but they, they had a strong uh, wind against them, and uh, about 200 miles out from their base, they began to, to lose altitude as they lost their engines. Of course, they're going down. The sun was going down about the same time, so they found a little island, and they landed on it quietly without the motor running and found out later the enemy was on that island about a mile away. So there they are in the South Pacific, surrounded by the enemy, no gas, and they're wondering, what are we going to do? Well, Captain Johnson, the chaplain, began to pray, and, uh, and there was a knock, or not a knock, but actually somebody interrupted him and, and, and said, uh, you know, what we need is not prayers. It was one of the men on the, the plane. We need gas. We need to go look for gas. And, and the chaplain said, I'll just stay here and I'll pray. Well, he prayed as the, the sun set. He prayed into the evening. He fell asleep praying that God would somehow rescue him there. And about 2 in the morning, he woke up and he got this impression to just go down to the, uh, the water's edge. And he did. And, and uh, he was looking around with a flashlight. All of a sudden, he saw this metal float there. And it was full of gas cans. They, they had gas in them. And he called the men and they went back and they, they filled the plane. As soon as the sun came up, they flew out, and they got home. But, but where they came from, that's the real story. They found out that there, there, there was a U.S. Uh, kind of a, a floater, and a tanker, they called it, that, that hauled petroleum, and it was in enemy waters, and they knew they were going to be torpedoed by the, the Japanese submarines, so they put this gas on these floats, and they let it go 600 miles away. Can you imagine that? It floated all the way to that little island, they got their gas, and they were on their way. Now, have you ever known of God to help you? If you've lived any, any length of time, been a Christian any length of time, you will be glad when he does. That's the, the word in, in verse number t- uh, 2. Then were we glad. The, the work of God produces a joy and rejoicing. And, you know, if you're miserable continually, the, the term miserable Christian really is a contradiction of terms. God help us not to be miserable Christians. We sing, count your blessings and name them one by one. Many years ago, there was a man in in Bristol, England, by the name of George Mueller. I've talked about him before. He was a great man of prayer. It's like everything he, he prayed for, it came to pass. But there was one prayer that God didn't answer. His dear wife died after uh, 39 years of marriage, and, and he prayed so much for her recovery, and it just didn't happen. 
At the funeral, he used this text in Psalm 119, 68. Talking about God, it says, Thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statues. Before she died, Mueller was praying for her and making entries into his diary, and he made this one. He said, Yes, my father, the times and my darling wife are in thy hands. Thou wilt do the very best thing for her and for me, whether life or death. If it may be, then raise up yet again my precious wife. Thou art able to do it, though she is so ill. But howsoever thou dealest with me, only help me to continue to be perfectly satisfied with thy holy will. He was surrendered. After the funeral, after her death, we find this entry in his diary. I bow. I am satisfied with the will of my heavenly Father. I seek by perfect submission to his holy will to glorify him. I love this. I kiss continually the hand that has afflicted me. My inmost soul habitually rejoices in my departed loved one. My dear daughter and I would not have her back. Were it possible to produce it by the turn of a hand, God himself has done it. We are satisfied with him. At the, uh, the funeral of missionary uh, Bill Wallace, who was martyred, a Baptist missionary here some time back who died on the mission field, they were holding his funeral in empty rank in a, a preacher made this statement. He said, God is too wise to make a mistake and too good to do evil. How true that is. Can we trust him? When we trust him in the midst of all these things, I think there's a wonderful sense of peace. A peace. A peace. Now, we find that the Jewish people have been taken captive. God had miraculously released them they're back rejoicing, saying, pinch me, I feel like I'm dreaming. The heathen are hearing it, and they're going, wow, God's done great things for them. But they're not done asking God for favors. In verse 4, it says, turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Back to those streams in the south. It's like the memories turn to a prayer, and they said, turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. You've helped us before. Help us again. Turn again. Turn again. God's willing to do that. In Job 5.19, Job said, He shall deliver thee in six troubles, yea, in seven there shall no evil touch thee. You know, you'll never have a point in the Christian life where you no longer need God. Your soul might get as dry sometimes as the desert, the desert in the south, the Negev down there in the summer, and, and you'll need to ask again and again. That's been the story of Fargo Baptist Church. You'll need to ask God again and again. You say, but pastor, that was, that was back in Bible times. That doesn't work today. Well, I have news for you. Malachi 3.6 says, for I am the Lord, I change not. And we find over in the New Testament, Hebrews 13.8 speaks of Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. Folks, the centuries have not worn down God's power. There's not a leakage in his battery, okay? He's as powerful today as he was then. And for the, the past 30 years, God has blessed and helped and come to our rescue over and over and over again. And again, in verse 4, they say, Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. We can talk about past blessings but what about the next 30 years? Should Christ tarry? What about the next 30 years? 
We ought to thank God for what he's done, but we need a devout benediction. God, do it again. Do it again. He never gets sick of hearing it. He never gets tired of us or our antics, and, and he loves his children too much to turn his back on us. He's there to help us as individuals and, and as a church. So as, as we look back and, and, and as we look forward to the future, may we say with all of our hearts, the Lord's done great things for us. Truly he has. Thank God for it. Let's stand to our feet, please. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.